0: Welcome to Hope for the Heart. I'm thankful that you are tuning in today to listen to the message today. My name is William Rogers, and I'm speaking on the the book of Revelation. I'm going through this book as a verse-by-verse study, and it's proving to be quite the challenge. So I'm glad you're here, and if you want to take your Bible and follow along, I'm going to read for you the context for the passage today. It's found in Revelation chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. We've already been in this chapter for a little bit, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But for right now, I want to give you the context. So I'm going to read some verses that are found in Revelation chapter 7. And feel free to follow along. I invite you to open your Bibles and do just that. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. I want to uh, read this for you. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, This is John in heaven, and one of the elders Uh, probably representing the church, the raptured church, is saying to John, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they, and from where have they come? And I said to him, this is John saying to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and in his And they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. Verse 16, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd, and he shall guide them to springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes tremendous passage, but I think one that needs explanation, because if we're not careful, we could read these, along with the title I gave last week of the world's greatest revival, and we could tend to be, get confused about this, thinking that perhaps everyone is going to be saved during the tribulation period, and that's just not true. But when you think of revival, what do you think of? Last week I told you the, la- the, the greatest movement of God's saving power is yet to come and the world hasn't seen it. It will be greater than the day of Pentecost. But what do we think of when we think of a revival? Most of us, if we've had any background in the church at all, especially Southern Baptist churches, tend to think of, well, it's the day that the church has set aside Sunday through next Wednesday for a revival. We've got a special speaker coming in. I've really never heard of him. He's probably not any good or whatever, or a week-long revival. But is that really revival? And does revival actually happen when this comes? Uh, usually you see a very uh, good showing on the Sunday night. I've been involved with many of these. And uh, you, you get a good showing on Sunday night. Then Monday night, the crowd is real low. But they, they do all kinds of things. Like they offer pizza for the children. And they have a children's choir singing that night so that it can attract more people. And because if it is revival, it's got to look like and be exciting but is that really what revival is? Well, I, I want you to, to understand this about revival. I know even when I named this last week that it was I understand that most people don't really have a concept of revival because we've never truly been involved with one. But I believe this one that is coming upon the Earth, it will be far greater than what has been experienced in the early weeks of Jerusalem. In other words, it will be greater than, than the the uh, explosion of the apostolic preaching of the cross that sent the gospel through Israel uh, to the north and to the west and covered a great portion of what we know as Europe. I think it's greater than what happened on Pentecost. But I think that's basically what revival is. It is a massive outpouring of of the Spirit of God and the, the proclamation of the gospel so that many are being saved. And I think this one coming will be greater than any revival in human history, greater than what we know as, as the great awakening in our country. And, and so it's going to be an interesting time for sure. This will be a revival that will be, like we said last week, unlike any in human history because it will involve people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue, Coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what am I saying? I'm saying this: that a revival, in the truest sense of the word, is a is people coming to know Christ. This is there is coming, which we saw last time, a great revival, a great awakening that has no. Uh, basis of, of history. All. One has never happened like this before. In fact, you think of the flood that came when God destroyed the world. We can't look back to there and even say millions were saved just before the flood because of the the warning and the, the preaching of Noah going out to the people and the, the prediction of God's coming judgment. Millions were not saved. They did not repent. They did not believe Noah. They did not know what to to think of that. They They were not saved. God only saved just a few. So this will be a great awakening. God will save literally millions of people in a very brief period of time. So I guess we could call it an international awakening or an international harvest of souls, uh, exceeding anything we have ever known. So when you think about that, it brings us into this context today. And today we're looking at what I have entitled uh, From Death to Glory. Because that's exactly what we see here. We're seeing a group of people like this that are mentioned here uh, being saved uh, and in heaven all of a sudden. And it's not surprising to us that God saves people. I mean, we, we've always seen that we, we serve a God that is a saving God. God is our Savior. Scripture calls him uh, the Lord and Master. He will move in a massive movement of salvation in a most unexpected time. You see, when we think about Revelation, in fact, most every teaching I've ever been involved with, when people think about Revelation and they think about the signs and and judgments, you never really hear much about those that are going to be Christians during that time. Well, what's going to happen to them? Uh, what's going to happen to all these people? Uh, who's going to be evangelizing and witnessing in the world? Well, we, we've, we've met some of those, haven't we? In chapter 7, we met 144,000 Jews, 12,000 out of each of the tribes of Israel, who will be redeemed, uh, I mean, who are redeemed, yet they're going to be sealed and protected from any harm being done to them during the hundred, uh, during the, uh, the, the time of the tribulation period. And there will be the two witnesses that are going to come forward later in chapter eleven, and then there's going to be a, a, a heavenly being, an angel flying through mid heaven, proclaiming the gospel, which ought to be interesting in itself when we look at that. But according to Matthew twenty four fourteen, the gospel will be preached, and it will be preached extensively to the very ends of the earth. So really, there's going to be a great force of individuals proclaiming the gospel, and people will repent. People will believe the terrorizing judgments that are described in the first six seals, which we've already discussed, are going to cause people to really be fearful, as we saw a panic and, and uh, begging to the rocks to hide them and, and to conceal them from the, face of the, from the wrath of the Lamb. So that is actually a period of time coming, but what about these people? Well, these people, it's a large group that I just read to you, in uh, last week it covers verses 9 through 12. We looked at this group, but also in chapter 6, I remind you, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, we have a description of another group of people uh, in a different situation, but they're at the beginning more of toward the front part of the tribulation period, probably being martyred and killed, but they're underneath the altar of God begging for God are crying out and petition to God to, to avenge them who uh, their blood for those who on the earth who have brought this to them they will be slain because of the faithfulness of God's word and the testimony concerning Jesus Christ and they will uncompromisingly maintain so that group in chapter 6 is probably mixed with this group and as we see them in chapter 6 they're crying out asking for vengeance they're asking the God to bring vengeance on the evil people who hate God. And so we're seeing now this group where that has happened. And we're seeing probably a look towards the end of the tribulation as this group is is, is in heaven. And so we find that group in six, and then we find this group in nine, this actually including that group. And so we're looking at a large group group of people. And so we saw last time their location and it says they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb in verse in verse nine it says that. And so this throne has a large group of people in front of it. And the Lamb is in the midst of the throne. He too is in heaven and they're all in heaven. And they have died. That's what's important here. These are 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 saints that have died and gone to heaven. the fact is they have white robes we talked about might indicate that they have received bodies. But there's no indication of that because we know in Revelation 20, it tells us when they will receive their bodies. Not that that's important, but at this point, uh, because they're still with the Lord. So from the location, we move to what we said was the... uh, the, the action in verse 10 and the cry that came forth in verse 10, they're crying out with a loud voice and they're wanting to worship salvation to our God. And we looked at that very carefully. And so I want to, to look at verse 11 just momentarily because it says uh, there, and I want to bring out another of the C words that we looked at last week. This will be... Uh, a commonality here. And look at what it says in verse 11. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. And I realize I didn't read this with this, but I read this last week. They're around the, the elders and the 24 living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worship. And so all the angels were standing around the throne, and they're they're worshiping. And So the commonality is worship. Commonality with who? Well, look at what it says. The angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures. The four living creatures are who we have talked about that are cherubim that are there, but the elders, we said, represent the raptured church. And so the rapture church is there, and these angels are standing around. So what a wonderful association it is here, because here are these people who have been redeemed in their souls, and they're now in the presence of the Lord in heaven near the throne, waiting the moment of the resurrection of their bodies and the return of glory to the glory of the the millennial kingdom. And they are in association with all of these angels, and it is a large group. I mean, we find, first of all, the angels were standing around, And we know that the number of those angels were myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands. I can't even imagine how big this group is. And then you put in the church, rapture church up there, and that is a lot of people. And so you've got a massive crowd up there and innumerable angels. And some translations say uh, billions upon billions. Well, we don't really know. It's just it says they could not be counted. And so they are worshiping him, and they all chime in together. Look at what it says. They fall on their faces before the throne and worship God. What a scene that is because this group of who is involved there, the church has been through the church age, and they're up there, the angels are there, and the the four living creatures are there. And so they actually named these, separating them as distinct groups. And so it's a very interesting thing to look at this. And so the elders do represent the raptured church. They're up there. So at this point, in this this Revelation chapter 7, we find saints up in heaven that were not raptured. Uh, they were not raptured. They have actually come through part of the tribulation and the great tribulation, meaning the second three and a half years. But they've come through and they have died. Now, they might have died because of the plagues, they might have died because of the judgment. They might have died because of fear. They might have been, as one as the second uh, seal was broken, the war breaks out. And we said that that was a man against man. And so sword, people fighting one another, they could have been killed that way. And I don't want to belabor the point, but each time these uh, we, we look at this, we are, we are asked to be reminded of the fact that these came out of the tribulation period. One little note that I think is interesting, all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders, which seems to be a simple reading to indicate to us that elders were not angels. It, 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 that's just another argument to say that they probably really are the church. They're not angels. Because so many people have translated elders as churches as a, as angels, but they're not. I, we, I, we see them and we remember looking back to the passage where we describe them as representing the church so the four living beings are there and then the uh, and then it says in verse 12 what they're saying and the, the amen blessing glory wisdom thanksgiving honor power and might be to our god forever and ever amen and, and that is a tremendous thing this word amen means let it be let it be it's an affirmation so let it be that the blessing glory wisdom thanksgiving and honor and power and might be given to our god forever and ever let it be very much like the glorious benediction that I see, I think we saw in chapter 4 of Revelation, verse 11, when it said, Worthy art thou, O Lord our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you did create all things, and because, uh, because of thy will they have existed and were created. And so the scene is worship in here in heaven, and this is what is going on. So then I want you, as we come to verse 13, there's a concern in heaven. And I don't want to miss this because I think it's important. Uh, again, I can't cover every single part of all of this because you could go, really, you could go several different weeks on just chapter 7. But look at verse 13. One of the elders answered me and said to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they and from where have they come? These are newcomers. So the question specifically is, well, what about them? What's their point of origination? Uh, how did? Where did they come from? Well, we already know the answer, but let's look at the detail. One of the answers, the elder says, who are they and where have they come? And the elder, representing the church, asks John, who are they and where they came from? He's not asking. Now, I want to remind you now, he's not asking for information. He's not saying, hey, John, I know you're up here. You might know something I don't know, but who are these people, man? That's not what he's. He's not looking for information, and it's the same thing I've told you when we've looked at of of Christ speaking in the in the in the the time when he walked upon the earth, and he would ask questions. He wasn't looking for information, uh, just like uh, God in in Genesis chapter three when he when he looks at uh, when he's in the garden and Adam and Eve have sinned, and I'm, I'm turning to it now because I want to get it exactly when it says in John. I mean in in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, the Lord heard the sound, or they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Now listen to this. Then the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? Well, this is the same kind of thing. God wasn't looking for information. He wasn't looking for Adam to say, I'm over here behind the oak tree, which is next to the orange tree. here's where I am, I'm I'm over here, I'm kind of hiding from you. He wasn't looking for information. Uh, He's not asking for this information. He knows that. He knows where they were. And just like here, this elder has already been there. He knows who they are. He knows who this group is. He's a heavenly being now. He's a glorified believer. He has experienced full resurrection, resurrection in translation, and is like Jesus Christ. He knows even as he is known, this is a representative of the church, and he's not asking for his uh, own information, but he's asking to make sure John knows. And so I I think this is a way to communicate to John, do you understand what you're seeing, John? Do you understand what's being asked of you to write down? It's an amazing thought. In fact, it's it's one that I think is, is worthy to be looked at. It's important. Because we might assume, because of all this going on, whether there's going to be any salvation in the tribulation period, we might assume that we've read all these horrible judgments. And if you look over in chapter 9, you look over in chapter 9, verse 20 for a moment. Let me just read to you what that says. In Revelation nine twenty. it says, And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship, Demons and idols and gods. In other words, they didn't turn from that. They did not repent of their murders. And it has the the, the, the feeling there that the rest of mankind who were not killed and did not repent went in and pe- went uh, to their eternal destiny. In other words, they perished and went straight to hell. But that's not what this is saying. Uh Chapter 16, verse 9, talks about the final bold judgments, the one that will come, the one that has come in rapid fire at the very end. It says, men were were scorched with fierce heat. They blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent. And we could take that to mean, well, they died, they did not repent, they were blaspheming God, so they went straight to hell. So this is looking as an understanding here that, you see, at any moment of the, tribu- the Great Tribulation period, people are unbelievers, just like you were an unbeliever at one time, and then you became a believer. God quickened your spirit, and you became a believer. But before that point, you were a rejecter of Christ. You were, uh, in your heart, you were at enmity, at, at a separation from God. And that's what we have here. These people were, remember, they weren't raptured. So coming up to the point of their salvation somewhere in the tribulation period, they were rejectors of Christ. And so it is a very interesting thing to see that all of these that are in this group here, in this group from from chapter chapter, uh, 7 of Revelation through verse 9 through 17, this whole group, were rejecting Christ. They blaspheme Him. They they did not. They were not repentant until they did repent, and so this is a group that knows what they uh, are thankful for. And so you look at this group and you see that they have come here. The first thing I want you to notice is, uh, in verse fourteen, it says, "My Lord, you know it means." He recognizes that he knows, and I guess he's wondering, why are you asking me? You know, this is what John's saying. I think he speaks with great respect when he says, my Lord. He admits the need of the revelation. He's confessing, I don't know. Please tell me is really the way you could read verse uh, 13. Uh, Please tell me. And so he said to me, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation, and they've washed their robes and made them... uh, White in the blood of the lamb. Now, out of the revelation, out of the tribulation period, these are the ones uh, who have come. Look at verse fourteen. These are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation period. They have come out of, and that's literally what the the, the text says. Just one little word, "ek," out of the tribulation, and it really says the great one. They've come out of it. They've lived into it. They missed the rapture because they weren't saved. They were redeemed during the tribulation somewhere. And now they've come out of the tribulation. So it's a very interesting thing about this group of people. Yes, they died. Look, Matthew chapter 24 says, Unless those days were cut short, no one would survive, said Jesus. Lots of death. Millions will die, including believers. And that's one thing that I... Uh, we, we cannot ignore. When you look at this group, they all died during the tribulation period. And it was probably a bad death that we would look at it. But look where they are. It was simply a passage from, from death to light. Or as my title says, they went from death to glory. So however they da- died, it doesn't really matter whether they died of a heart attack, as we we have seen from Luke, that they will people will die out of fear They're literally their hearts will stop beating because of the things coming upon the earth or whether they die in an earthquake or whether they die from murder from one uh, man fighting man or whether they die from the the, the the water that will be polluted or the sun that's going to scorch people it doesn't matter because it's simply passing from death to glory that's why this title is so important. But these are the ones that have come out of the great tribulation period, meaning, man, they had it rough. In fact, if we get a chance to talk to them and can remember, and remember, they they know at this point what they've been through. But these people didn't go with the rapture church, so they weren't saved. They were Christ rejectors. They were perhaps those who have never heard the gospel. And during the seven-year period, especially in the last half, uh, God is going to pour out his spirit. There's going to be these people preaching and proclaiming, and people are going to perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. That is another group of people. You see, there's two basic groups here. Those that will perish because they do not receive the love of the truth, as 2 Thessalonians says, or this group, who will not perish. They did repent and they're now in glory. So there's two groups. There's going to be those from death to glory and then there's going to be those from from death to doom, to judgment. And this group is from death to glory. Isn't it, isn't it just an amazing thing to look at this group? Does this mean they'll have a second chance? Well, It it doesn't mean necessarily you have a second chance. It just means somewhere in your life, God knows where you're going to be saved. God knows what your heart is. God knows uh, if you're going to be a believer or not. He knows those that he's going to call for salvation. So if you have breath in your body, if you're still alive and you have not become a Christian, then there is, during your lifetime, whatever's left, the opportunity to repent of your sins. And so it's a very interesting way, but you can't read this text, which some have interpreted as to say everyone will be saved. Well, no, this is not saying everyone will be saved. This is saying some will be saved. Even though it seems to be a massive group, there are still many, many more, as Matthew chapter 7 tells us, that are going to die and are not going to heaven. So this is telling us that the ones who are coming out It's a group of people, but it's really talking about a a process. This is a continual process, prolonged process going on of people coming out and coming out and coming out and coming out. You see, the rapture was a picture of instantaneous all of the believers leaving earth. So this can't be talking about a rapture. This is talking about a continual process. And it's meant to encourage us. In verse 14, the ones who are coming out clearly separates these believers from any other group of saved people through history. They aren't blended in with the church. They're not blended in with any other group, so they're a different group. They're not a at a, one moment, but there is a process as the lives are taken. And some believers, note this, will survive. And now out of this group of people that are going to be saved during the tribulation period, some are going to not die. Isn't it amazing? Some are going to actually live through all of this and go straight into the kingdom that's going to come after his second coming, which will be on earth. But some are going to go straight to heaven because of death. And so uh, Revelation chapter 12 tells us many will be Jewish believers. Uh, It's going to be a large group of them. But this is looking at a group of people who have come out of the tribulation. And then look at verse, verse 15, because I know I, I don't have a whole lot of time to, to cover this, and but you see the point. Notice it, it says in, in verse 15 that for this reason, for what reason? For the fact that they've come out of the tribulation period, and they've washed their robes uh, in the blood of the Lamb, which we know blood, doesn't, it's blood stains a garment, but this washes the garments of all sin. And so we see that there is a an exhortation here that they are being comforted and cleansed, and for this reason they are before the the, the throne, meaning they are constantly before the throne. It is a, a ten, tense in the verb that speaks of a continuous action here uh, of, of serving Him in some type of worship, day and night, in His temple. And of course, when we get to the new. Heaven and earth in chapter 21, we'll see there is no temple. But for here, in this say, there will be a temple. There will be a temple in the millennial reign. So in this sense, this is where they are showing that they have arrived in heaven. And then verse 16 is one of conclusion. It says they shall no no hunger no more, nor thirst anymore. Look at what it says. Those are characteristics of people that are in judgment during the great tribulation there will be people who will be hungry there will be people thirsty there's going to be famine and it says the sun will not beat down on on them but the sun in Revelation chapter 16 is going to be beating down on these believers and so it's going to be an interesting time but here he's comforting them and saying that's not going to be anymore no heat is going to touch you and so this is a word of comfort and there is a provision here in verse uh, 16 that uh, they will be comforted. There's not going to be hunger. They they can they are going to be uh, taken care of by the Lord. And you you get the idea that these people have been weeping going to heaven. And I don't know about you, in the midst of this world in which we live today, we would certainly get the idea that Christianity is is uh, on the way of being defeated, wouldn't we? Well, imagine being during the Great Tribulation. They're going to think God is, there is no God. They're going to think the world is out of control and then suddenly God is going to quicken their heart and they're going to see it for what it is and they're going to be willing to stand up against the Antichrist by not receiving his mark and and take a stand for the testimony of Christ and they're going to be probably killed during some of the judgments. But imagine somebody uh, looking at this asking this, do you think the whole world today is advancing in Christianity? And do you see Christianity advancing in, in, in America? No, I don't see it. Do you see it over the whole world? No, I don't see it. Do you see it advancing in Latin America? No, I don't see Christianity advancing there either. Do you see it advancing here in America? No. Do you see it advancing in, in Asia? Do you see it advancing in Western Europe? No. Do you see it advancing in, 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 in Eastern Europe? Well, maybe a little bit. Do you see it in Africa? No. But as you look over the world, and you see, as the church, the organized Christianity, seems to be fast-moving towards a very obviously defective kind of Christianity, doesn't it? But don't lose heart over that. Don't focus on that. Focus on the fact that God is in absolutely perfect control. He is a sovereign God who reigns. And we seem to be losing. It's good news to me, and I trust you that in the end, the gospel will triumph. The gospel will win. So, for now, this is William Rogers, and you've been listening to Hope for the Heart. Next time, we're going to take a look at chapter 8 of Revelation. As the sixth trumpet judgment continues, we're going to see the seventh seal open. And what a tremendous time that will be. So stay in God's Word. Keep praying and thank you again for listening to Hope for the Heart.